Hello, this is Adam S. Leslie, co-host of this very podcast. A quick plug before we start, my folk horror novel, Lost in the Garden, is now out and available in all good bookshops, including Blackwells and Waterstones. And now, back to your regularly scheduled Retrotube. Welcome to Retrotube Archive Television Podcast, the podcast in which an Adam and a Heather take it in turns to introduce each other to some crumpled, dog-eared bits of old television from decades past, and hope we don't end up hating each other as a result. This week it's certainly a danger, as we're taking our first trip to Australia. But it's not glamorous, sunny Bondi Beach, Australia, oh no. We're visiting chilly, overcast suburban Melbourne in the mid-1980s for the gloriously bananas Prisoner Cell Block H. Prisoner ran on Australian television from February 1979 until Christmas 1986, reaching a giddying total of 692 episodes. It was shown over here in the UK, apparently at random across the various ITV regions from the 18th century, right up until the point I was able to miss seeing the concluding few episodes, The Swines, and then it stopped forever. Well, thank you very much. The early years of Prisoner featured many of the best-remembered characters, such as B. Smith, Lizzie Birdsworth and Doreen Anderson on one side of the bars, and Vera Bennett and Erica Davidson on the other. But I've chosen to watch a couple of close but not quite adjacent episodes from the other end of the show's run, episodes 582 and 586 from October 1985. So, Wainwright, what were your preconceptions going in, and what did you think once you'd actually watched it? And it's fine, you can tell me it's not lagging. Okay, that's great. Glad to hear that. I would never want to <laughs> lag on anybody. No. That is just a big no-no. That's the biggest no-no there is. There... <laughs> it really is. It's way bigger of a no-no than beating up a prison warden. It really is. I didn't know a lot about Prisoner Cell Block H. I know that my sister Jo watched it a bit sometimes. Mm. I know that it is kind of uh, kind of synonymous with lesbianism, although I didn't see a great deal of that going on, which was a little unfortunate. And that it was Australian, and mm. that was that was pretty much it. My, my my friend Nathan, who I don't think you've met, but I know you know of, he once released a, an album entitled Prisoner Cell Block N, <laughs> and the title track was uh, Cell Block Love which was oh. is one of the happiest songs I've ever heard. Lock me up and throw away the key I'm a prisoner of L-U-V But tell me not be hell When you're my nothing sound of Um, so yeah, I didn't really know anything apart from Australian women of varying sexualities in prison, terrible acting, terrible script writing, it's the 80s, let's forgive them all, the end. Yeah. And then I watched it, I just watched it not too long before we started recording in fact, and um, yeah, yeah, that's that's a really, really sound <laughs> summation of, of what they did. Uh, it was awful, but it was... It was awful with glee. <laughs> it certainly was, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know if it's... I mean, it's. 
I guess it's synonymous with lesbianism. I don't think it's a particularly sexy or sexual show, though. There isn't really much of that. It's no Orange is the New Black. It's not Caged Heat. It's not. It's not. It's nothing. It's nothing like that. There's just uh, a lot of ladies in a room together. It's very chaste. It is. And not not as in being chased around. <laughs> no. Because <laughs> there's there's plenty not. of that, but it's not in the slightest bit sexy. I feel like I was missold on the lesbianism of it and, you know... I think you were a bit. I'm a little bit disappointed. Some of the characters are. Yes. But they they don't really get up to much. No, quite. So, did you like it? Did you enjoy watching it? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It's... uh... I think I enjoyed it. I think I did. I don't... Because I think I spent most of the time trying to figure out what everybody's name was because obviously it's so far into the show that nobody bothers yeah. calling anybody by name anymore. No, although at any, if you start at any point in the show because it, it went on for so many years and they had such a turnover of characters, there's there's only one actor who's in it from the very start through to the very end and everyone else gets completely turned over. So even five or six episodes in, you would no longer have the introductions or any of that kind of thing. You don't yeah. get introduced to the new characters as they arrived. So whether you're episode six or episode 586, you're still pr- pretty much thrown into the deep end at the, sa- to the same respect. Yeah, I'm, get- I'm getting that. I'm getting that. There was... Uh, I mean, obviously, you would expect a high turnover, what with it being, you know, a prison. Yes. Not everybody is a what I call lifer. So I think I enjoyyed it, is what I'm saying to you. <laughs> I, 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 did, I definitely didn't hate it. I was expecting, I was really expecting not to. But then again, I don't know why I was expecting not to, because I was brought up on, you know, neighbours and home and away and sons and daughters and... So I, I know what to expect from Australian soaps. Um, it It's very much that. It's very much that for <laughs> only ladies and uh, in a prison. Yeah, and I think there's a conversation to be had. And by golly, let's have it. Let's. Why not? That's what we're here for. Whether it's actually a soap or not, because I don't like soaps. I don't watch any of them. I don't like EastEnders. I've never watched an episode of either Coronation Street or Emmerdale. I never watched neighbours or home and away it's like ordinary people living in an ordinary place doing ordinary things and occasionally someone will die and there'll be a slightly extraordinary thing happened but generally the drama is revolving around quite ordinary stuff happening to quite ordinary people whereas this it has the that rolling structure of a soap so it has characters coming and going and there's no sort of beginning and end of plots particularly they just all roll into one like it's someone turning a big tombola handle <laughs> But it's extraordinary characters in an extraordinary situation. So it's not about Mrs. Brown who lives next door. She works at the shop and she's got a crush on the vicar. It's about Mrs. Brown who murdered her husband and went on a shooting spree. And now she's running a you know, her wing of the prison and she's beating up anyone who disagrees with her. So it's quite a different sort of thing. It's I, I think it's much more it's still a, cult television than Adam, soap. Adam, it's, it's a soap. It's still a soap. You can dress it up however the hell you like, but it's a soap. It's a, it has its soapy moments, uh, and those bits I find really, really tedious. <laughs> and there, there are a few of those bits in this that we'll get to. Uh, any of the bits that happen outside of the prison where it's an attempt by writers at writing romance. And this is one of my notes from later on, but I'll say it now. Why are soap writers so bad at writing romance when that's essentially their stock in trade? There are a lot of people who are terrible at writing romance, Adam. <laughs> the romance genre is so so underrated because writing a decent romance scene 
that actually hits you in your heart mm. is a particularly difficult thing to do. If you have to write it a seems to, to make it look like people like each other, then you have failed in your assignment. Exactly, and you end up with really bland characters cooing, oh, darling, whatever are we going to do? And just making the whole thing seem, seem really boring. <laughs> it's like, when, when, when you're little watching this stuff, it's like, oh, I don't want to grow up and do all this boring stuff. For, for anyone who isn't familiar, I guess we should say exactly. I mean, we've more or less said what it is. That it's, it's essentially a, a rolling drama series set inside an Australian women's prison. Yes, that's what that is. It's really all you need to know, isn't it? With all the, the shenanigans, the really weird shenanigans that go on there. There are some weird, weird shenanigans, particularly in the first episode we watched. And we didn't even watch the episode in which someone escapes inside a robot. What? I know. We didn't watch the episode in which a number of the characters go boating and it's set to the Blue Danube. What? We didn't watch the whole storyline in which some armed men break in with big machine guns and take the whole thing, lay siege to the entire building. We didn't see that. So the reason we haven't done Prisoner Cell Block H sooner, part of the reason, is that it just has taken me so long out of 692 episodes to actually choose two episodes that we could watch and get a good, entertaining overview of the tone without missing out on too much. And we still did miss out on quite a bit. Well, we tried our best. We did. (laughs) Before we dive into it, shall I give you a bit of context from why I like it? For God's sake, please do, because I'm baffled. (laughs) Baffled and tipsy. That's me. (laughs) That's the title of your autobiography. It really is. Heather Wainwright. Baffled and tipsy. Baffled and tipsy. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So, for me, this isn't a daytime soap or an early evening soap. This is late night, after midnight, weird cult television. So, in the maybe late 80s, but certainly early 90s, there was a whole lovely strand of television that I really, really miss. Possibly ironically from the period of TV that we're covering in this podcast, I think early 90s was my favourite television viewing experience of all. When after all the grown-up TV had finished and then you get all the youth TV like The Word and that kind of thing and that had finished and then it was the TV for the rest of us. It was for all the misfits and the people who like strange stuff. And so you'd get things like Richard O'Brien's Mystery Train showing weird old animations or Jonathan Ross's incredibly strange film show when he was more of a cult figure rather than a mainstream entertainer. Hmm. Or things like Nightingales or Vic Reeves' Big Night Out or Absolutely. Or, or you, and then you get on BBC Two, you get Movie Drome showing all the weird, strange films you'd never heard of and that wouldn't normally be shown and they'd be curated and you'd have uh, Alex Cox or Mark Cousins. He'd be introducing them in his particular way. Or like the old 70s Godzillas that were really cheap and hilariously entertaining. And you see all these like weird animations like Harpier or the Zbigniew Rudzinski ones or the David Lynch movies or the Alejandro Jodorowsky films. Uh, and it'd be all about like men with really tall hair and skinny ties and 50s Ray-Bans and all the theme music would be Hammond organ and surf guitar. This culty late night period of watching tv after all the normal people had gone to gone to bed and it felt like it was just for you and so prisoner was part of that that was on itv so when all the sort of oh my god you watched itv of your own volition i know i mean i used to watch the bill you were in the bill i was in the bill we've been through this i think it was the doctor (laughs) it must have been the doctor this feels very familiar (laughs) 
I feel like now we need to we need to start mentioning every week the fact that you were in the bill. <laughs> I think it's our catchphrase. I used to watch the bill. You were in the bill. Yep. <laughs> well, ITV Night House, certainly Anglia, I was in the Anglia region when I used to watch it, and uh, I can't remember the names of all the presenters except for Paul Lavers, because he was in Doctor Who once in uh, Androids of Tara, I think, but he was one of the. That's the, the only late way night. you know anybody. <laughs> it really is. He was one of the late night link men. And it's clear they all watched it. They all watched prisoner and they already got into it because they would make like these lovingly sarcastic comments about the characters and about the stories that only someone who'd been watching it quite closely would actually know so that was really fun that you get these sorts of that you get these anglia tv link men in their gray suits and ties making these really cheeky comments about prison at soul black h before it was on and it was great you felt like you were part of this little club oh i love that so it, it really fit in with that rarefied bonkers coming up to midnight and just after midnight sort of world that you could be in after your parents had gone to bed and I used to I did sort of watch it secretly because we were we were all a bit snobby in those days and we didn't watch soaps it sounds like you're still a little bit snobby and you <laughs> say you don't watch soaps although I don't is, watch soaps this is quite blatantly a soap <laughs> just get it's over too, it it's too weird Calm to down. be a soap no, it's not too weird to be a soap. Have you have you ever seen an American soap? Exactly. Have you ever even seen a telenovela? Exactly. It's a soap. <laughs> Calm down. It's fine. You can admit it. It's okay. I'm not talking to you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> am, am, am I too northern and common for you now? <laughs> yeah, I've re- I've returned to my snobby roots. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Other people's Aww. roots is blues music. My roots are snobbiness. Yes, I know. I'm getting that. I'm getting that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's what I watched. I didn't watch an early evening soap. I watched a weird late night cult film in which a uh, cult show in which anything could happen. And did. And that I think that was the joy of it that anything at all could happen, and you never knew what might happen, and whatever happened w- would be nuts. And as we discovered from watching this. The tonal shifts could give you whiplash. Yes, quite. Quite, particularly in the first episode. Good grief. Yes. I mean, you say anything could happen in this, and and did, Mm. and that's fine. But you kind of say this in in sort of like, huh, that kind of thing couldn't happen in a normal soap. But, you know, you probably don't know about Bouncer's Dream. (laughs) I mean, I've heard of it. Or that time that Mike Reed turned up on Pat Butcher's doorstep wearing only a a lighting up twirling dicky bow. That's nothing. It was the most terrifying thing I've ever seen in my life. I still get nightmares. Uh, So, you know, weird, wacky things can and did happen on normal, everyday soaps. I would just like to point it out there right now. (laughs) This ain't special, pal. (laughs) <laughs> they they happen with lots of space in between for normal, quite everyday That is true, and this does happening. happen in every single episode. Th- this is... Well, both of the episodes I have seen. Oh, no, it's always like this. So I imagine it's indicative of... The best word to describe Prisoner is dense. It is dense with weirdness and <laughs> the most unlikely things you can imagine, but they happen. Yes. And you kind of think, did I dream this? Yeah. Did that happen? Did that really happen? Not only do we think it as we're watching it, but sometimes even the characters are like having dreams and then going, did I dream that? Yes. 
I think its reputation is a lot like Blake 7, that it's known for, like, bad acting and bad scripts and wobbly sets. I actually... I mean, it doesn't really have wobbly sets, no more than anything else. Mm. I didn't notice this. I mean... You can find a little, you know, a supercut of the moments that the sets wobble on YouTube, but it's actually relatively rare. And same with Blake Seven. There are fewer wobbles than than advertised, to be fair. Absolutely, yeah. I think the sets would have to be fairly sturdy because they got a lot of use out of them. They did. They did like throwing each other up against walls, didn't they? You couldn't do that amount of body slamming on wobbly walls, could you? Really? No, you you couldn't. It would it, it would be a nightmare. Mm-hmm. But I think also. I don't think the acting is bad. I think actually most of them are really good actors who are in a very speedily produced show and probably doing everything in one take without much preparation. And actually there's a lot of moments for a lot of the characters where they really have to pull the emotion out of the bag and you say, oh, actually a lot, of the, a lot of these actors are really good. Some of them are really bad. Uh, we, we we will get to uh, Mervyn later. <laughs> yeah, don't give it away. <laughs> Uh, but also, I think, similar to Blake 7, it started off with really good intentions of being gritty and hard-hitting and realistic and very quickly becomes quite camp and disco and bonkers. Yes. And just more and more daft, but in a good way. I think so. I think they're both remembered today because they shook off their serious, grimy origins and said, let's have fun! Yeah, I mean, I I can't sort of, like, speak for, for Prison Cell Block H... Why do I keep on calling it H when I know it's H? I know, and this is your name. I know. You're I, H. Wayno. I can't speak for Prisoner Cell Block H because I haven't seen the first couple of episodes and it, it may well be I will never travel back that far. But yeah, certainly certainly Blake 7 started off as quite... Really grim and gritty. I mean, it was, it was the darkest shade of grey one could imagine. <laughs> it really was. And then just like two episodes later... Avon's chomping away on the scenery. (laughs) (laughs) Phil is nicking stuff and whinging and being terrified of everything. And Jenna's rolling her eyes all over the place. And and then you relax. Exactly, yeah. I feel like that must have happened at some juncture with Prison Cell Book H. I think you can't maintain that level of grimness and seriousness. No, no. You do need need the light and the shade, and you kind of have to. It, it takes a real degree of self-control, I think, to be able to write something that is balanced to, is balanced between the light and the shade. Mm. At, at some point, you do kind of need to pick where you're gonna where you're gonna sit yourself. It's not easy writing comedy by any stretch of the imagination, but it's less physically exhausting, I think, to sling in wackiness. Yeah, absolutely. Rather than keeping it relentlessly grim and also if you're st- if you're stuck inside a prison for 80 percent of actually what's on screen mm. th- you're just going to run out of stuff to do it's just going to become incredibly monotonous that's right you've got to come up with something like i don't know a talent show maybe a fashion parade <laughs> exactly i think similarly with blake seven as well that actually it knows how funny it is and when you watch blake seven after it's reputation of being a bit naff and badly written and rubbish and you're watching you think actually this is quite well written and they are a lot of the humor is intentional yeah and i think that's the case here i think it's very cheap and speedily made but i actually think a lot of a lot of the humor is intentional quite a few jokes in it that i've said you probably wrote (laughs) oh really okay there are some some very leslie-esque puns in here (laughs) 
<laughs> Fantastic. So I think this should be better remembered as a, as a feminist show. Because a lot of writing for female characters is you tell them apart because she's the blonde one, she's the dark-haired one, and she's the redhead. And that's pretty much as far as it goes. But you do have a whole range of characters here, and it is 80% women on screen, and they're all very distinctly different characters, which should be obvious. And, you know, any writer worth their salt should just be writing people and not worrying about whether it's male or female or any gender. Particularly, you just write that character. But so many people have a, a mental block on writing women, and it's like, oh no, what do women do in this situation? Ah, she's having a shower painting her nails i don't know what do women do whereas it's like it should be what does this character do yeah so this is a, a great range i've been there i've done the same thing i don't know what women do in any <laughs> given situation watch old tv shows oh yeah yeah <laughs> Day, daydream about various tracys <laughs> yes well i mean i mean various i mean you know Three out of six. <laughs> three, three is various. Yeah. But I think sort of the, the, the range of characters they have, and they're not glamorous particularly. There's, there is a bit of 80s glamour going on, particularly since we have a fashion show in this first episode we watched. I mean, and what a fashion show. As a rule, they're not presented as glamorous or sexy necessarily. They are just characters in a situation, and it's not even made a thing of that, like, oh, they're women! Gasp! Yes. Maybe like the first couple of episodes it was more of a novelty, but by the time you're this far into it, it's just like, they're characters, and you're just used to them being characters, and it's... You know, the downside is it's incredible white there's almost no ethnic diversity at all uh, because it's 70s 80s tv oh. uh, which is not an excuse could do better but certainly in terms of could do better could definitely do it a heck of a lot better it's certainly in terms of feminist writing i think it should be better remembered not through any necessarily active feminism with in the message but just for the fact that it has a lot of women characters and many of them have very similar hair color but you can still tell them apart. You can. Astoundingly. You can. Um, it definitely passes the Bechdel yeah, test. Yeah, the Bechdel test. It does, for sure. There's the, they, they rarely talk about men at all. There's lots of lots of motorbike chat. There's a lot of motorbike chat. Which we will also come to. Spare a man, ride a motorbike. Um, oh my God, that sounded way, way, way rude <laughs> than I expected. I'm so sorry. Oh no. <laughs> For oh, God's right. sake, edit that out. Um, You're on oops. a charge. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so we watched two episodes. We did. I still haven't finished. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. One more thing. That was. You one... just let me know when you're ready to talk about I'll, what I'll we actually watched. I'll wait you up. I'll prod you and wait you up. No, I, I, I wrote a list before we actually got to the episodes. I wrote a list Jeez. just to undercut what I've just, what I've just been saying. But I wrote a list of the stock prisoner characters so this is because it's a rolling set of characters you often get the same archetypes reappearing with different names played by different people and with with certainly different personalities but uh so these are the ones you always get the big lunk there's the really really nasty one mm. there's the young goody two-shoes swat there's the tediously earnest one who's often in charge there's the granny there's the prissy one there's always the overgrown five-year-old yes there's the anguished one with lots of personal psychological stuff there's the glamorous dangerous one on remand with who's got big hair and lots of makeup and there's the old gossip so those are the ones i've noted there's probably more but which one would you be um oh i would be the prissy one would you i'd be like oh my oh gosh 
I'd be willing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be singing an aria, then I'd burst into tears. <laughs> Actually, yeah, that would be it. <laughs> <laughs> that would 100% be you. Anyway. Yeah, I can see it now. Dress and everything. <laughs> Or I'd be the tediously earnest one. No, 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 no. You'd definitely be, no. With big spooky eyes. definitely be singing eyes. an aria. Yes. <laughs> I'm too short to be the big lunk. Although it would be fun to be the big lunk. I would be the big lunk. Yeah, but you're too clever to be the big lunk. The big lunk also has to be a bit dim. I don't know. I feel like you're bigging up my intelligence a little too much here. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, episode 582. That's what we watch. This is the first show we've done without episode titles, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think it is. Episode 582 from October 1985. Uh, And it starts with a a recap of what happened in the previous episode, which neither of us watched for this. And so it is typically absolutely bonkers. We get married just quickly in a registry office, then we go to London. You stay for a month, you know, for a holiday and then come back. I've got a lot of preparations to make for this afternoon sitting. Now make up your mind, either the wedding or the job. As far as I'm concerned, you can't have both. Then you're being totally unreasonable. And ECT has restored Rebecca Keane to her normal state, a normal cooperative personality so that she can Doctor, that's the point. The cooperative girl we have in Wentworth now is a complete opposite to the girl I knew as Rebecca Keane. You're saying her personality's changed? Completely. I'm afraid that has nothing to do with ECT, Mrs. Reynolds. Perhaps you'd better look closer to home. Oh, jeez! For this job to work absolutely, no one must know you're working for the police. Oh, come on, a caper this size is bound to be a leak somewhere. Doesn't the pardon tempt you? All right, Governor, you've talked us into it. When do we start? Tomorrow be all right. It, it certainly sets the tone for there just being constantly, absolutely bananas things going on. Yes, there is always something happening. There's always like three or four or five really weird things all happening simultaneously. Yes. But the show proper starts with Lexi Patterson's face powder is spiked and makes her face all come up blotchy and horrible. Yes, and she swears a lot. Oh, look, I, I think it's all right. I can sort of see you now. I'll get some more. No! But you've got to go to the hospital make sure it's nothing serious. Look, I'm all right. It's just some bugger's idea of a joke. Who's? I don't know, but I'm bloody well going to find out. I love that they just swear. It's not like Grange Hill or even EastEnders where they have to say, oh, you blooming toe rag. Yes. Nope. They just go for it. And they say all kinds of naughty words that I'm sure you will drop in. She's not effing, but she's certainly jeffing. There is an awful lot of jeffing. Mm -hmm. Poor old Jeff. He's never done anything wrong in his life. This is the only really dramatic thing thing that happens in the first 20 minutes, I think. But this is a good example that you're in this sort of environment where these characters will just randomly seriously harm each other but they still have to live around each other. It, it, it's like perfect for drama. You don't really have to contrive much because you just set up this situation and these characters and they'll just do all the drama quite organically and naturally and they'll just start hurting each other and injuring each other. <laughs> because of course they will. We launch pretty much straight into the talent show. We do. One character says, It's just like being in court, except there's three judges instead of one. One of the ladies we found, well, two of the ladies, actually, we found out um, in the the bit before the titles came up. 
Mm, Looking really bit. Two of the ladies are being sent on an undercover assignment. Yes. So they're being they're being released. One of whom is the most inappropriate person to be sent on an undercover assignment. Yes, and this particular lady uh, is she's already terrible at being undercover. She is. This is this is Willie. We're talking this about. This is Willie. Hey Willie. This is. Your mama calls you Billy. Daddy <laughs> yeah, calls you silly, you, but you really are a pretty one. Mm-hmm. Hey, lady, you're dressing like a... Anyway. Yeah. Uh, Willie played by Kirsty Child, who was in Picnic at Hanging Rock. She played one of the... Of course she was. One of the tutors in that. She is terrible at being undercover. Um, mm-hmm. She sings terribly and then has a breakdown because she's she just doesn't want to leave her friends in prison. She's the only, she's the only inmate on Earth who does not want to be released, even to go undercover. I marvel how a man like you could fail to see my blood was blue. What a gorgeous situation. What a startling revelation. I marvel how... Bloody hell, sounds like she's going to drop a cash. to say. A part of the song. I sort of recognise it. Don't you start me. <laughs> now that's what I call real good singing. Willie, what's the matter? I'm going to miss you all so much. <laughs> they going to feign an escape whilst being transferred to a different prison, but actually the police have got them uh, the, the police are arranging for them to escape so that they can then do a heist yes. in order to catch some other criminals. So it's a bit convoluted and they've picked Willie and her friend May, who are literal partners in crime. Poor old Willie's nerves are just completely frayed. And she is essentially the Australian C-3PO. She is a bit. Kirsty Child knows exactly what show she's in and <laughs> because she really goes for that. <laughs> when she's doing the laughing aria, she <laughs> really gives it everything. <laughs> She gives it beyond death. Yeah. Whatever whatever is beyond death, that's what that's what is given to us. <laughs> I would say it's a beautiful thing. It's colourful. It's certainly a thing. They they start off being a little bit baffled and then they all start trying to not laugh. All except for Kelly, who is just a bit mean. Oh Luke Kelly, yeah, the villain. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, rack off, Kelly. She says things like rack off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the one swearing you can't do as effing. Everybody racks off now and again. Sure. <laughs> My favourite line is is just after Willie has had a breakdown. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, are, there are a couple of uh, Wainwright baiting names in this. <laughs> I know. I... <laughs> we meet Barbie Cox later. <laughs> I know. I was so thinking of you. A line that properly, properly made me giggle. Mm. Um, once Willie had finished her song, she was practically carried off stage <laughs> because she was weeping so much. And then I can't remember the name of the character who introduced the the next act. Oh, Eve, the really the one, with the the glamorous one with the giant hair. Yes, that's the one. Next up. We've got Jacko playing Flight of the Bumblebee on Paper and Co. <laughs> and we never get to see it. <laughs> Not a line I ever thought I'd hear <laughs> in my life. 
No. <laughs> this show knows what it's doing. Flight of the Bumblebee on paper and comb. I mean, it would be that's an album track, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's it's like an Emerson, Lake and Palmer B-side. <laughs> it is, it is. My next note is, what is Kenneth Branagh doing on Prisoner Cell Block H? <laughs> oh, the, um, the lawyer. Yes, got very confused. Pippa Reynolds, who is possibly the most annoying of all characters that have ever been on television. I will tell London to forget the job. But as far as I'm concerned, it's your decision, not mine. And if things don't work out, the harm it does to my career will be on your head. Just don't listen. I know what you're saying, and maybe a lot of it's true. But it's not what you were thinking today when I told you about London. I mean, she might be. I'm not a fan of the stuff, unless it's to do with, like, escaping and criminal activities. The stuff that happens outside the prison, I'm not a huge fan of. I don't understand the stuff that happens outside of the prison. It's not really quite presented as being outside of the prison, so I'm like, is this just in, like, one of the staff rooms? Is this is this where this is going on? <laughs> oh, interesting. So it's almost sort of like a TARDIS setup where there's different environments, the, the deeper you go into the prison. Yeah. There's, like, a nice living room. <laughs> you just so, find normal people so in the living room. I didn't realise this was actually outside <laughs> and these, these people were, like, free. <laughs> that lends a whole other surreal air. It was... <laughs> I don't I I don't know. I still I still don't know what It's almost Lynchian. It almost is. Yes, quite. <laughs> um so they they have a chat and I don't really know what they have a chat about because That'd I'm too be busy thinking stuff. what's Kenneth Brand doing here. <laughs> then the talent contest carries on and somebody sings a beautiful song about a little girl who's 3 who doesn't know me. Got a little girl, she's 3, but she doesn't know me. Magdalena doesn't seem fair I'm not there if she ever needs me Magdalena don't know if she needs me or not don't know if her forehead's cold or hot don't know how she looks what she wears or if anybody cares Magdalena that's Nora good old Nora she sings a mournful folk song which is just as dull and earnest as she is she's the dull and earnest character with the big mournful eyes who just moons around in the background being all like don't do that don't do that stop enjoying yourself like Davy Jones don't do that then Lexi's friend reads a poem about silence with a polythene bag on her head yeah because she's keeping her hair under wraps for a future event it's it's a thing when it's finally revealed bam 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 it's she's the goody two shoes and she's quite typically reading a goody two shoes poem mm. about friendship. That's the most sarcastic voice I've ever used. Silence sounds different in prison. It hides from the sun and comes after lights out to descend like a shroud night after night. It's a silence that isolates, desolates, as quiet as a grave, as still and as cold as a pond. That lights-out silence used to frighten me. Tucked in, locked in, alone, I'd wait night after night. Impervious to locks, doors and bars, mocking such inventions, it stalks the corridors and finds me. But silence in prison sounds different now, defeated by all my friends, with time and patience and gentle persuasion, they've conquered my lights-out enemy, and even in the dead of night, their fashions linger with me. That lights-out silence has become a tranquil time. Lexi breathing, lost in sleep, with cherub face and spiky hair. 
Daffy tells her plants a bedtime story of princes and palaces. And even Lou enjoys the tale. What I really like is the fact that Lou Kelly, who is the evil villain, I have to say she is my favourite of all the Prisoner Cell Block H villains because she's she's just so Lou Kelly. Uh, but I I love how much of a low embarrassment threshold she has. Oh, she she's cringing like a crazy person. Yeah, and then when <laughs> when um, Julie mentions in her her poem about friendship that even uh, even Lou secretly enjoys the bedtime stories, she looks really embarrassed. Like, I do not. I have never I've enjoyed never a bedtime had... story in my life. But yeah, she's sitting at the back like a school bully, heckling. Although, actually, if you look in the background, she's also applauding the act, so she's this total nihilist who hates everything and hates everyone and is perpetually in a bad mood and she just makes sarcastic comments but actually she does also applaud the acts yes hmm i can kind of tell why you like her why well because you know you you kind of have a friend who hates everybody and everything and is really (laughs) really sarcastic and grumpy about everything but then secretly loves everybody anyway so that's who you'd be then you'd be luke kelly i would be luke kelly i didn't realize until you just said it but yeah that would be me (laughs) I would, I would be the evil baddie who didn't like anybody. You would, you'd be the evil baddie. Except for secretly liking everybody. <laughs> also, uh, Jenny, Daphne and Julie have to be the most... They have to be the nicest criminals ever, don't they? I think they probably are. They're sitting backstage talking to each other and they're just so nice. I don't know any people as nice as them. Uh, and Jenny and Daphne seem to be dressed as Edwardians for some reason. That's never really explained. <laughs> Before I realised what Lou Kelly's name was, because she'd been so thoroughly embarrassed through the whole thing, I just I just referred to her as Australia's solo answer to Statler and Waldorf. Literally <laughs> has her head in her hands. And she did, while Jenkins was singing Down South America Way. Dressed as Carmen Miranda. Aye, 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 indeed. How many TV shows would you get in which the main villains henchman and muscle mm. will get up on stage dressed as Carmen Miranda and do a song and dance routine well that said main villain has their head in their hands with and are totally mortified that's probably the best bit in all of it is Alice Jenkins doing her I, I think so everybody was having a great time <laughs> Kelly was just about to just she just wanted the the floor to open up and swallow it. Uh, she's trying to maintain her cool. And Lurch was like, I am a goddess. Look at me. I have grapes on my head. <laughs> Which kept falling off. I know. I genuinely expected it to, you know, because there was like a big close up of, of her lovely silver shoes mm. next to a few grapes. And I totally expected it to like, you know, go flying. Yeah. But that didn't happen. And I was a little bit let down. It didn't happen. No, I think the grapes had, had gone there accidentally. It's very hot down in that tropic spot Where you can meet a senorita who has got the lot They stay awake all night Jay, And some then people they got sleep all day so Forget her all She's doing good Oh, she's you like a giraffe the fit. You're making a fool of yourself, Jacob So on a very little coat and rump But after five, senor, you'll come alive, senor And shake your carcass to maracas And the sound of pestilence I Down South America, I, 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 I
I think Lou Kelly is essentially a cat because she likes to think that she doesn't care about anything or anyone and she's really aloof and unpleasant. But she has a really low embarrassment threshold and just everything makes her really... Oh, no! And she'll get into fights with people, as we'll see later, and she acts really hard until she actually gets into fights with people and then she looks terrified when they start beating her. And then... We get Daphne, who is who is the uh, overgrown five-year-old for this particular mm. cycle. She plays a rather menacing version of Moonlight Sonata. It is quite a menacing mm. version. Welts, Welts grinning. Manically. Welts grinning manically to everyone sitting behind her. She's so proud of herself. And then the big reveal of Julie Egbert's hair, which has been kept under polythene all this time. And it's the biggest thing I've ever seen. It's like it's huge. It's approximately the size of an oil rig. That's true. That's true. I would like to quickly just like nip back to the previous scene, which was Kenneth Branagh and his girlfriend. Oh, those two. Um, those two, because, because there is a line in it that I might have written. I'm sorry, Roy. I just can't fit it in at the moment. As the actress said to the bishop. Oh yes, of course I remember that. That Roy on the other end of the the, the sarcastic, sarcastic English bloke who talks a bit like this said the actress to the bishop. Yes, Sydney Lotterby. <laughs> we then meet Miss Ferguson. Miss Ferguson's hobby is having a good sneer. There's nothing Miss Ferguson <gasps> likes more than a good sneer. She'll just come into a room to sneer at people. Let's be fair, Adam. There's nothing Miss Ferguson likes. She's terrifying she reminds me of the evil teacher who was very very mean to me as a child oh no poor you earlier yes she looked like her and everything oh she was and she was totally that level oh that was not nice that brought back a lot of memories i didn't want oh i don't like that miss ferguson she's a bit mean she's genuinely evil the bit that happens towards the end of the episode which we probably don't want to go into too much just because it is one of the massive tonal shifts that happens regularly but yes she is a properly wicked and evil character isn't she and it loves chewing the scenery you could say she's not psychopathic she's sociopathic but no she's neither of those things she's neither of those things she's calculated and evil conniving there's no mental issues here she's just a very mean person there were two particularly evil long-running prison warders the 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 latter one being miss ferguson the original one was vera bennett was she married to gordon gordon bennett she was a much more nuanced character that she was very by the book and very officious and harsh but she always played by the rules but there were many scenes where actually it showed she was very vulnerable and lonely and her harsh exterior was due to the fact that she was so lonely and actually when it, it looked like she might make a friend or she might you know have a date with someone that she she became actually quite a sweet character and so she was very sort of rounded and three-dimensional whereas Joan Ferguson is pretty much pure evil she is and is great fun for it oh I don't like her no don't she's... like her Adam no well you're not meant to Ooh. she's awful one thing I like about this is how crepuscular the lighting is. For the sake of, of idiots like me, please could you tell me what crepuscular means? Crepuscular means it's the it's the kind of the lighting condition between daylight and nighttime, that sort of evening dusky. So it's nocturnal is nighttime and crepuscular is evening. Right, okay. Essentially. Could you not have said evening? Well, it, it's a descriptor of it's, it's so it's not taking place at evening, but it has that sort of crepuscular light where, like, often their faces are in shadow. Oh, yeah. 
like an entire scenes will take place where largely they're, they're just covered in shadow which i really like it it gives it quite an oppressive slightly dreamlike feel to it i think yeah that it's not lit like a lot of studio dramas where they'll make sure that everything is really clearly visible or you know if you were lighting things properly for a one camera shoot you'd get the key the key light and the fill light to make sure that there's you know you'd have the the guy with the reflector so that there'd be a bit of light bouncing up onto the face to, so you could you know see their expressions and things but the, the scenes in the cells and the corridors seems to seem to be lit with one light essentially so yeah it's very atmospheric yeah a little bit oppressive you wouldn't expect a prison to have too much lighting yeah it wouldn't work if it was if it was harshly lit not that i have ever been in prison but i would imagine that if anything it would probably be you know it would probably have too much lighting it might do actually yeah because because you wouldn't be able to hide anything and because there's something really headache inducing about too much light yeah but atmospherically it makes sense for there to be less light to to make it seem a little bit more sinister a little darker and a little like obviously below the law as everybody is in the yes i think so that's the plane that they're on i think that i think it makes it makes sense for it to be like that so yes we have um, ernie bourne who plays merv merv the perv although he's not a perv it just rhymes so they call him that but actually he's a very nice man he's a very nice man in love with a woman We've we've all had an impossible crush on women with really extraordinary hair and glasses. Joyce's hair is it's not like all the other hair which is enormous. <laughs> it's not like super other structures. Hair. Her hair it is It has its own dressing room. It does. Her hair's the thickest thing I've ever seen. It doesn't take up much room but it's incredibly dense. And a really weird shape. It is a weird shape. It's like it's like she went to the hairdresser and went do you know what, guys? Just do your best. I shouldn't admit this, uh, because purely the fact of watching Prisoner means that I'm clinging onto my heterosexuality by the skin of my teeth. <laughs> but when I was watching from the beginning, or from near the beginning quite recently, when the character of Joyce first appeared, I did a little cheer, because I really like Joyce. Oh! I went, hey, it's Joyce! <laughs> Good old Joyce. But, um, yeah, Ernie Bourne's delivery, though. How are you feeling? Would you care to go somewhere for a stiff brandy or something? No. My own son wouldn't even give me the time of day. I tried to apologise, but he just ignored me. Walked away as though I didn't exist. Look, you're going to have to forget it, love. I mean, you tried. Perhaps he just needs time to get over his father's death. Oh, he thinks I caused it. Oh, hey, no, don't, don't talk like that. I really didn't think Jim could be that cruel. He doesn't give a hoot about my feelings or the reasons why Norm and I parted. Well, I do. I care for you and I... It hurts me to see you this upset. Oh. I don't know how I would have got through today without you. Thanks. That's what friends are for. To help out in the good times as well as the bad. It's something, isn't it? It's certainly something. He managed to make uh, a stiff brandy sound really suggestive. Would you care to go somewhere for a stiff brandy or something? I appreciate that in a person. You do, yeah. I knew you'd appreciate it. <laughs> Aw, but he wanted to marry her. I move into a little... He, he put her deposit down on the house and everything. He did, and she was not happy. She got the right hump. She did! Not in a good way. <laughs> I think Merv is really endearing, and I think the actor's poor line readings, or 
I don't know whether it's a deliberate choice that he he delivers his lines like that, but I think it adds to how endearing he is as a character. I think so. I love him. And he's wearing his checks jacket, and he's just he just wanted to give give him he's a cuddle. He's adorable. Yeah. And he's just so nice. He he just really dotes on Joyce, and he's just really nice, and he doesn't have a side to him. He's just really placid all the time, except when he has to stand up for Joyce's honour, and then he'll get quite angry. I did actually make a note about this. Um, fair play to him. He's not just a sentimental old sod. No, because Miss Ferguson comes in, you know, twirling a moustache and wielding a cape, and she tries to intimidate him, but he just... He just tells her to back the heck off. Mm, he goes, rack off, screw. He tells, he tells her to rack off Cobber. <laughs> screw. That's, <laughs> that's what he says. <laughs> he says, you're a dag, Ferguson. Always were, always will be. <laughs> um, <laughs> he doesn't have that accent at all, does he? He, has his, he... he doesn't. I no, I wasn't actually trying to do an accent. I was just trying to say words. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> he has his own unique Merv accent. Yes, he's he's from Mervland. He is. And anyway, she comes in and she's being all terrifying. And he's just like, huh, I ain't scared of you. And wanders off. And then she kind of looks a little bit rattled. I have just buried Norm. Will you please just leave me alone? All right. I'll go and see what's going on in the kitchen. Better check your social calendar first, and then you might have an afternoon appointment with a television station. What's that supposed to mean? Oh, it's just that you seem to have time for everything else other than what you're employed to do. Mrs. Reynolds gave permission for that contest and for this morning's time off. If you've got any complaints about me, go and do your damnedest. Otherwise, shut up and keep yourself out of my business. I then made a Mm. note... Um, because obviously I didn't know anybody's name, yeah. but I, sh- I shall... Uh, I shall attempt to translate. She'll pop in the correct character's name. Mm. Willie is literally the most extra woman alive. <laughs> She's probably Avon's ancestor. <laughs> She's extra in a different way, though. I don't think she is. She's just extra. She's just like... <laughs> Avon doesn't get hysterical and cry a lot, though. I think he would. <laughs> I think I think what happens with Avon is that he, he go he's like in front of everybody and he's all... Ha! I don't care about a thing. I I am a machine. I'm a scientist. I have no emotion. It's uh, this is all. Oh, I'm, I've got a computer to hack. Um, uh, then probably goes off into his room and has a little whinge. He gets all hysterical because he has to go on a dangerous mission. He's like, oh no, what I'm going to do? It's so dangerous. I'm scared. Oh, Villa, I'm, scared. I'm so scared of the road. He's ending me with Villa. Oh my God, we're going to die. <laughs> It's not fair. Here we are about to embark on a most dangerous mission and we can't even tell our closest friends. I know, but they're the rules. It's for our own safety too, remember? Oh, Nora wouldn't tell anyone. Well, we can't, so forget it. We might never see any of them again. We we could get killed and no one would ever know the truth. Now that's enough. Look, just pack up this junk before the freak gets heavy with us. How many times do I have to tell you do not refer to my property as junk? So, you know, there's an an awful lot of ancestral Mm. evolution going on. Um, So by the time it it gets to Avon, I think that's where the extraness would have have got to. Actually, I mean, she she does evolve as a character. We didn't get to that part, but without wanting to give too many spoilers away, but the final time we see Willie as a character in the series, she's very, very different. Oh, 
uh, because she she has been through a lot and has changed as a person. Golly. It's not one of those shows that has a big reset button and nothing affects the characters. It, it, it does allow them to change and become battered by what they do or just in the case of Reb Keen, uh, I don't know what happened to her because I can't haven't recently seen that bit. But she she was essentially the she was Lou Kelly before Lou Kelly. She was the previous nasty one, but then she became all nice and weird <laughs> and had weird dreams about being tormented by people. And and then when she left prison cell block H, she ended up becoming Lynn Scully in Neighbours. Oh really? Okay. As a Neighbours viewer, you would recognise. Uh, did you recognise um, Julie? Julie Egbert, do you recognise her? Because she was in Neighbours for a long time. I don't think I did. Who was she in Neighbours? Who even was Julie? Uh, Jackie Woodburn. Uh, Julie was the one in the pink cardigan who then ends up with the enormous hair. Jackie Woodburn, wasn't she Susan Kennedy? Uh, I think she was. Let's have a look. Uh, Jackie Woodburn. Susan Kennedy in Neighbours, yes. Yes! I didn't recognise her, but now you said the name, I know, and obviously I know who she is. When we first started watching this episode, or I started watching this episode before you did, to prepare for this, and like halfway through this episode, I sent you a message saying, this is possibly the lightest episode that Prisoner Cell Block H ever did. But I was wrong. You were wrong, because two minutes later... It gets extremely... It's extremely bleak by the end. It gets very bleak. Do we want to give a trigger warning, a content warning? Yes, yes, there's there's a suicide warning here. Yes. And a self-harm warning. Evil Miss Ferguson, who is evil, goes in to see... Reb Keen, who's having certain problems. She's the one who's already had electroshock therapy. She She's already been going through a tough time enough, fellas. And she's uh, a bit on the edge, as it is. And for some reason that we don't actually know about, Miss Ferguson goes in there and, in short, Miss Ferguson not only encourages Reb to, to kill herself, but actually gives her a razor blade. This is kind of juxtaposed with the world's naffest escape scene. I know. In fact, that was... That was a note that I made. How is this the scene after, why don't you just kill yourself? And then you see May and Willie, uh, with the aid of a policeman, feigning an escape. And poor Pat Slattery, who's our northerner, she gets locked in the back of the police van. The policeman, the policeman on duty who who is in on this, just waves at them. <laughs> he does, like, by them. Like proper wiggly fingers and everything. It's absolutely bizarre. And then after that, after the wacky escape, so you've got the you've got the horrible sinister why don't you do something very, very drastic to lull their escaping back to all of her cellmates finding her after she's made this attempt. The line is there's blood everywhere, she's dead. So but you don't see her. You don't no, see luckily. you don't see any of this. And then Miss Ferguson just grins. She goes, eh, 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 She grins, eh, she does a eh, proper eh, beam. She does a, a mwahaha. And then my final note, because then obviously it was the titles. Um, is there anything more of a niche genre than 80s Australian soap theme tunes? <laughs> Probably not. I mean, there's that. Which is to give me roses. Which is a song. It certainly, certainly is. It was a big hit. It, understandably. Mm. Um, and then there's the sons and daughters, love and laughter, tears of sadness and happiness. Mm. Um, and then obviously there's neighbours, which we all know. And then there's the home and away tune. And then, I, I mean, the Australians don't skimp on a theme. They don't. They they don't just deal with a couple of notes here and there, <laughs> just filling in a bit of time. No. Yeah. It's all got to be an epic 
and fair play to them for that. Go big or go home, say Australians. It, it ends every episode on a rather mournful note. I mean, and in, and in this instance, understandably. In most instances, frankly. But that was episode, episode 582. 582, and we were going to watch the next episode, but then we actually I decided to skip us forward to 586 because I wanted to, you to meet someone. I'm so glad I did. <laughs> and actually, I like this episode, even though the other one is incredibly silly and we get to see Alice Jenkins dancing. I actually like 586 more. Yeah. Because we get to meet... We get to meet Rita the Beater. Rita the Beater who is a toweringly tall... Six foot three. Is she six foot three? Mm. Fantastic. I looked this up. Actually, she might be six... Uh, hang on a minute. Oh, no, six foot two. She's a big lady, six foot two. I, yeah, I, ha- I had to Google it because she she was huge. And I was like, oh, she might even be taller than me. And she is. She is. She's a she's a bikey, which is an Australian biker. She's, a, she's in a bikey gang. Yeah. <laughs> She is, she is. And she is what happens when middle-class TV people try to write a hard-as-nails biker. And do you know what, Adam? Yeah. I love her with every fibre of my being. She's fantastic, isn't she? I love Rita the Beater as well. I adore her. She is, she's just my, I just want to be her when I grow up. (laughs) I love her. She's the opposite to Lou Kelly because she has no embarrassment. She gives zero fudges about... (laughs) anything she just she doesn't care she sits on her bed and pretends that she's riding a harley davidson she does. and makes the noises she does the noises and she the hand gestures care. like she's eight and then when eve walks past she's not even embarrassed she's like it's fine it's like it's come fine. in i'm, I'm just, just pretending my harley <laughs> I'm just, not a problem i'm <laughs> just riding my harley vroom vroom mother fudges <laughs> <laughs> Hey, hey, where do you think you're going? Sorry, I, I thought you were busy. <laughs> just riding me Harley. Well, sort of, in my mind. Fantasizing, you know what I mean? And then later on, she sits on top of one of the enormous industrial dryers. Yes, I know that that was that was a note I made. That's, I mean, that's quite a move for a lady to make him. She's astride. Anybody. Enormous. This enormous green industrial dryer again, pretending she's on her Harley doing the engine noises with her mouth. I mean, I have to, I have to say, it is, it's a good job that the that the washing machine wasn't on at the time because well, that could have ended. That that would, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that, she alludes yeah. to that, doesn't she, at one point? But yes, I I love how the younger prisoners are really impressed by her, and they're not all thinking, "Oh my god." This is so embarrassing. This is so awkward. She's off her head. Stop. Oh, no. They, they're loving it. They love her. They're all cheering and going, yeah, you're ace. Well, she is. And she is ace. Yeah. She's amazing. She's playing this hard as nails bikey, but she's also incredibly likeable. <laughs> Thanks for the warning, kiddo. <laughs> Nearly came a cropper there. Yeah, it must be exciting to ride on a real one. Oh, don't remind me. The nearest I got was on the back of a tractor. Oh, I wouldn't get too energetic. Some of the screws don't appreciate a bit of fun. Uh, Do you always ride behind the same bloke? I don't ride behind anyone. Don't get me wrong, it's just the most chicks don't ride their own bikes. This one does. 
Just between you and me, Mr. Run rings around most of the blokes too. She's hilarious and amazing, and she properly is badass because she doesn't she doesn't actually care about Miss Ferguson. No, she just doesn't. I mean, like she had her by the collar, and then and Miss Ferguson was like, "Huh, you don't want to be in trouble for assaulting a warder," and she was like, "Huh, you'll know when you're being assaulted." I love her. I just love her. Just the end. That's it. We 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 can finish now. <laughs> <laughs> Joan and Rita's antagonistic banter is bordering on flirting. You expect them just to start kissing at any moment. Haven't got your mates in here to help you when you get into trouble. All for one and one for all. Don't worry, I can handle myself. There's the rules, read them and make sure you yeah, stick yeah, to them. Yeah, yeah, I've been inside before, you know. I don't like troublemakers, Connors. You push me and I'll come down on you like a ton of bricks. That's so? Yeah, because I can recognise scum when I see it. And right now, I'm staring it in the face. That's funny. So am I. <laughs> Real snappy little uniform you got there, Miss Ferguson. Which reminds me, I still owe you for pulling the stripes off mine. It wasn't too clever. I could have you thrown in the pound for assaulting an officer. Without a mark on you? You'll know when you're being assaulted. Get your bed made and your things put away. I'll be back in ten minutes to check. I mean can't believe they waited 586 episodes to sling her in there. <laughs> I've watched uh, an interview with uh, Glenda Linscott, who plays her, mm. and she is so softly spoken. I didn't know that it was going to be the top dog, but I did know that she had a, she was a wonderful, well-rounded, interesting woman, mm. and uh, lots of exciting things to investigate. Like, what did I know about bikies? Mm. Nothing. Yeah. I'm a, you know, I'm a good girl. <laughs> Rita... She can be perturbed when when Joan pulls the chains off her leather jacket. Yes, she didn't like that at all. No, she was perturbed by that. Uh, the music sounds like Mysterious Cities of Gold for some reason. Yeah. Did you notice that? I did. Either you give us the jacket or we take it off you forcibly. Now, what's it to be? I think I can solve this. Hey, what do you think? Now, you can wear the filthy rag as often as you like. You shouldn't have done that. You wouldn't be threatening me, would you, Connors? Now, why would I threaten a nice person like you? We won't tolerate insolence. Remember that, will you? Sign that. She's having a little cry. It's understandable. You've got to let it out a bit. It's healthy. Oh, wait. Now she's pretending to be riding a motorbike. <laughs> it's wacky. This show's wacky. I love it. It struck me who she is, who she's like. Who is she like? She's essentially um, Calamity Jane, but twice the height. Yes, she is. She even does the she does the thigh slaps. She does the th- she, yes. She she's Doris Day. Yeah, she she is pretty much. She's a she's a six foot two Doris Day. She does the thigh slaps and the whooping, and she does sing Whip Crack Away at one point. She does. She does sing. But, ri- she, yes, she does. <laughs> She doesn't. But she, you wouldn't, you wouldn't uh, she, she does. She 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 clutches her picture of a Harley Davidson and she's like, "Once I had a secret love." <laughs> um. Uh. Yeah, it's beautiful, beautiful thing. There's another lady who appears in this episode. For oh yes. Time, and I have no idea what the what the chuffing Nora she's doing here, but her name is Barbara Cox. Yes, I wrote down that she's a a surreal airhead. Right, are you step on the line. Hi, hi. What? Heidi, hi. 
Your name is Barbara Cox, and you have been charged with... It's got to be a mistake, eh? Surely that can't be right. Is this correct? Mm-hmm. Everybody's like, oh, we know what she's in for. But nobody said... So I'm like, is it triple homicide? Did she mastermind a bank robbery? Or... You know, nobody says what she's actually in for, and she's just there all like... <laughs> Heidi, hi. So the only thing she says are Heidi, hi, bidey, bye, and naughty, naughty. That's literally her only dialogue. Yeah, I love that. I, I think that's a really good joke that deliberately you never find out what she's in for. And I love the way that Miss Ferguson and uh, Meg they they look utterly aghast at her charge sheet, at what she's in for. And are you really in for this? And she says, Did yep. she? Did she just do that? And um, and she's like, Yep, sure did, sure did. And then she just like skips off yeah. with flowers. <laughs> and yeah, they're both just like, she's in for that? What? Yeah. And then later they're running a, uh, I think in a different episode, the prisoners are running a sweepstake as to what she might be in for. But the gag is we never find out. Spoiler, we never find out what. Um, oh, Bobby so Cox we never know. For. We never oh. know. It's a running gag. It's one of those like unseen character kind of gags but it's an un- wow. unknown crime but i love that i love their expressions and it's it, it it's definitely a joke this this is a show that knows exactly what it's doing it's having fun there's a gag later where miss ferguson's telling her off for something and, and she says naughty naughty and she goes naughty naughty miss ferguson oh. <laughs> <laughs> Honey, hi. you're doing here cox you're told not to wander what are you going to answer me or not Cox, if you have not been assigned work duties, you are supposed to stay within the recreational areas. Had you read your rule book, you would know that. Naughty, naughty, naughty Miss Ferguson. We also have Joyce eavesdropping on Eve, appropriately. If you're going to eavesdrop on anyone, it might as well be Eve. Exactly. Otherwise, it'd just be dropping. And Eve is the glamorous but dangerous one on remand from our list of stock archetypes. Uh, who's also been Ruth Ballinger previously and many others. There's been a few others. Eve realises that uh, Mrs Barry has heard everything that her and her lawyer boyfriend have been talking about. We don't know what's quite gone on, but we do know a mattress is involved. She's got a a romantic thing going on with her lawyer, so he's now complicit in helping her. She's essentially using him to, to do underhand things to try and dispose of the evidence. Joyce overhears her. But does Joyce play it cool? Oh, yeah, she totally plays it cool. She doesn't, like, honestly, play poker with this woman, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Jeez, the first thing she does, I know that you're guilty. I'm going to, te- I'm going to tell on you. You aren't g- going to get away with this. This is always the really frustrating thing when you, in any kind of dra- you know, TV drama or you know, film when the villain reveals their... Don't dr- confront the goddamn villain. This is... This is- yeah, they, they close the door behind them and go... I know, you know, I know what you did. And like, oh, good. You, you, well, you're in a you're in a room alone with me now, so. Yeah, so I'll be safe. You're not going to kill me because I know what's going on. No, honey, they're going to kill you. <laughs> yeah, or, or like when the villain reveals their their dastardly plans to somebody who may or may you know may or may not be into that, and the person says, "You're you're you know you're crazy, you're insane," and I'm going to tell the police. What I would do is, I, I would say, ah. Oh, Oh, that's a great idea. Oh, I'd love to be involved in that. Let me let me quickly go and get some of my friends who I think would be into it. You wait there, and then I'd run off really quickly and get the police. But no, they always have to go, you're insane. I'm going to tell the police on you. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> I'm just getting 
visions of you committing a crime. <laughs> <laughs> That's enough to reduce your hysteria. Visions of me committing a crime. <laughs> Have you know oh. I could commit a crime if I wanted to? You could any time you wanted. I used to videotape films off the telly before it was legal. It must have been the doctor. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was in I was in Ashes to Ashes as a criminal. You were in Ashes to Ashes as a criminal. Uh, you were in the bill. You were in the bill. Uh, and then the episode turns into bottom. <laughs> It does. <laughs> when Eve starts slamming Joyce's head repeatedly in the in the <laughs> cell door, and this is intercut with hinge and bracket plotting a heist. I know hinge and bracket. <laughs> <laughs> have you got anything stronger? I have some cocoa. <laughs> the escaped convicts hinge and bracket. I can't. I can't. I can't believe you said that too. Really? Did you think hinge and bracket? I wrote it, and I shall send you a screenshot of... Um, we both wrote down hinge and bracket. We wrote, wrote down... <laughs> ah, we've been doing this too long. We've, we've finally synced up. We have. <laughs> hey, Collins, you've been using this to get yourself into shape, hey? As a matter of fact, yes. Too bad it didn't work. I'll kill him. Can't attend here, remember our parole. Here we are, then. A nice hot cup of tea. Thank you. Mr. Shaw? Oh, Tar, haven't you got anything stronger? Well, I do have some cocoa. Nah, this will do. Good. I'll get us all some nice fruit cake then. It's been such a long time since May and I have had the opportunity to entertain, hasn't it, dear? I love it. That's just, there's always so much going on. It's really difficult to actually keep track of all the things. But yeah, you've got these two, uh, these two eccentric middle-aged ladies in their cardigans. Yes. Plotting an actual heist and Willie is fretting. As always. Poor old Willie. <laughs> We can never do a Wishing Impossible episode. Oh dear, but we have to. No, we can't. Eve, who has gone from comparing a fashion show to smashing somebody's head in with a kettle within the space of four episodes. I I mean, that's some character development. It certainly is, isn't it? I'm so confused. <laughs> when you bear in mind this is only the second episode I've ever watched. And it was heavily under the influence of bourbon. <laughs> You'll be lying in bed, maybe not tonight, maybe not tomorrow, but soon. You'll be lying in bed. You 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 think I really want to find out what happens. So you'll watch 587 and that'll be it. And I'll tell you 587 is worth watching. But yeah, there's always three or four improbable things going on at once. Which is what makes it so great. One of the really improbable things, there was a vicious attack in Bev's cell. Not against Bev herself, of course, but against her pet plants. Oh, Daphne. Bev is, is close. Oh, why did I think her name was Bev? Oh, we get an, a unique, unique moment of Lou Kelly trying to be nice. I think this is possibly the only time it ever happened. <laughs> She's trying and failing miserably. Yeah. And then she says... Here we go. Here's one of yours. Oh, yeah, I know which one. It's you. not dead. It's just a psycho ceramic, a crackpot. I one of don't Adam's think jokes. that's like one of my jokes. It's exactly like one of your jokes. I take offence at that. Hey, Dave. 
Slat says we don't have to go back to work, because it's nearly time for the bell. You want to watch Wonderworld till tea? No, I just want to stay here on my bed. But what about the mess? I mean, I don't mind helping you clean it up, but I'm not going to do it all on my own. There you go. They're all dead, Lou. She killed them. Well, this one's not dead. It's just a psycho ceramic. What? A crackpot. You get it, damn it's a joke. It's a crackpot. <laughs> I really enjoyed Lou's really awkward attempt to be nice and it didn't come off at all but then Rita comes in and Daphne gets uh, and Lou gets all embarrassed again because she's being caught being nice so she scowls and scuttles off like a cat and then Rita is just effortlessly cool she says exactly the right thing and cheers Daphne up and she helps she helps to get the plants back together and to be repotted and she's just an absolute sweetheart and I just adore her just you know hashtag marry me I just love her. <laughs> Look at these little fellas, will you? I reckon they don't know what happened. Did you faint when the freak came in? Oh, see, they'd be real scared, but see, that's Ivy, and she used to stand next to Phil, but now Phil's dead. But Ivy's not dead. Neither's this one. What's her name? Oh, that one. That one's called Willie. I called. I called her after a mate of mine who escaped. Do you think this one's really going to be okay? Well, I reckon you're going to have to nurse her and the others. After all, they've had a terrible shock. Yeah. Oh, I can nurse them. I'm real good at it. Yeah. I'll bet you are. Don't worry. They'll make it. <laughs> and we all know what Lou rhymes with. <laughs> we do now. <laughs> Thanks very much, Lexi. That's. I wrote down that. That, that really made me laugh. Poet laureate. Uh, Lexi thinks it's really cool that Rita... It's called Rita the Beater, and Lou says, well, she's just called that because it rhymes, and Lexi says... I can't think of anything that rhymes with Lou, except maybe poo. <laughs> now that's writing. It's just... It... <laughs> yes, yes. Except yes, maybe Yes, you could say poo. that. She's like four years old or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, also, another, another one of your jokes that turned up. Uh-oh. <laughs> and again, on the plant topic, Lexi says about the plants you'll talk them to death and then you'll be up for herbicide oh i didn't i missed that one yeah that's definitely one of yours that's quite like one of mine isn't it that is definitely one of yours you can't pretend that that isn't <laughs> so it's not like one of mine yeah. i'm just humoring it now you know i can hear you oh <laughs> my jokes are much better and the episode ends in the best way possible it ends with, with Rita beating up Lou Kelly and Alice Jenkins. Kelly and Lurch jump Rita in a cell and she beats up both of them. Mm. My queen, love of my life, marry me, is what I wrote. <laughs> Not that I overreact to characters. <laughs> so, That's it. Those are both of the episodes. Those are both of the episodes. Now, certainly one of the, the regular questions is uh, is Moot. Which is that? Which is your favourite character. We know which is your favourite character. My Rita. Lovely Rita, me to me. Yeah, she is great. Nothing can come between us. Did you have a least favourite character, though? I know I did. I have a least favourite character. Who is it? That horrible Miss Ferguson. Oh, really? Yes, I guess so. You you have flashbacks. Yeah, I didn't like her. Ooh. My least favourite is Pepper Reynolds. Ooh, 
Who is Pippa Annoyed? She's the annoying woman with the giant hair who's having the romantic thing with Kenneth Branagh, lawyer. Oh, she seems pretty irritating, to be fair. Oh, she is. I didn't get to see enough of her to form an actual opinion of her because yeah. I was too busy being all like, what's going on here? Hmm. <laughs> I think we've we've established that we both like the second episode more just because it has Rita in it. Yes. Lighting up our yes. lives. She just does. Like the angel she mm. is. And honestly, if if you're tempted to start watching Prisoner, you could either start from the beginning or you could just start at episode 586. I mean, what we've said just doesn't do it justice. You have <laughs> to see it for yourself. What were your favourite and least favourite aspects? I didn't like the bits that were like set outside of the prison because they just confused me oh. because I didn't realise that they were outside of the prison. And I was like, well, what? this is not a thing to talk about in the staff room, lads. <laughs> I found anything that wasn't actually going on between the inmates and potentially the the warders that like had direct contact with them. I found that really confusing. I totally agree with you, but for, for slightly different reasons. Right, so enough. my least favourite aspect is anything that happened outside the prison. Apart from, I, I quite like the, you know, I like any of the criminal stuff going on outside, but all the lovey, like, romance oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, all of the stuff that happens with Engine Bracket, yeah, that was great. I enjoyed watching that. That was hilarious. Uh-huh. But kind of knew that it was prison-related, mm. so it didn't quite count. But, yeah, all that stuff, the, the kissy, huggy like oh darling we oh darling whatever shall we do shall i take the job in london or shall i shall we get married oh darling what shall we do well darling so boring oh my goodness get with the punching and hitting each other with chairs <laughs> and spurt murder Kill um, blood. i think my favorite bit was just was it was kind of a little bit like a a, a, a lady version of porridge <laughs> i suppose so Porridge is a bit more sedate. Um, yeah, considering it's a sitcom, um, it's not nearly as wild. But there again, it's only men in there. Exactly, they're a bit calmer. I was genuinely chortling out loud when I watched the recap. At the beginning of the first episode we watched, not because it was necessarily intrinsically funny, but just because it was so out of context, because I hadn't watched the preceding episodes, at least not for 25 years. No, I, I had absolutely no idea what was going on. It just kind of like launched into a, yes, but what about if I take the job in London? Um, I'm not going to talk to you about this. What? Wait, who are you? And who's she? What? <laughs> I think my favourite aspect is just that anything can happen. Yeah, yeah, it's good that. I do like that. Also, I think one of the reasons I fell in love with this programme when I was watching it like, as a teenager, and this is really sad, the characters seemed to be having a lot more fun than I was. And they just had more oh friends God, and were just having a better time even though they were in prison in terrible danger doing awful things to each other. They got to have fashion shows and parties and... They did. Well, would you watch it again? Do you know, I think I think I may. Hmm. You know, during insomnia when I'm like, I need to see something that, that isn't going to tax me too much and that is going to put me into a nice headspace. I, th- I think uh, I think it I think it might do that. Mm. And you get to spend more time with Rita. My Rita. Rita Connors. Rita the Beta. Rita the Beta. Yeah, it, it's it's a nice. I mean, it's not always particularly relaxing. Sometimes it can be quite stressful and tense. But it it's an interesting place to visit. Visit. I what really wasn't sure what to expect, um, and I was very very pleasantly surprised. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I think it's it's a lot more knowing than people give it credit for. Yeah. It knows what it is and it does what it does and it knows that it's doing what it does. That sounds like a Michael Nesmith song. Good morning, 
So thank you very, very much for sharing sharing this televisual event with me, Mr. Leslie. That was... Uh, <laughs> an experience. It was an experience, certainly. And thank you, everybody, for listening in. We hope that you have enjoyed this almost as much as we have enjoyed watching it and giggling about it. Next time is obviously going to be my go, and I'm going to give you a little, little hint about what you can expect us to talk about. <coughs> Mm. Cowabunga <laughs> Oh, could it be? <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, if you would like to get in touch with us You are more than welcome to We are usually on Twitter That is that, that is where you can usually get hold of us uh, Our Twitter name is At Retro underscore Tube Or you can email us if you like Our email address is RetroTubePodcast at gmail.com and we will get back to you. Uh, so that's pretty much all I've got to say about things because I'm I'm still processing Rita. Um, I think somebody has a crush. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> uh, would you like the last word, Adam? Rack off, screw. <laughs> This is Adam S. Leslie, co-host of this very podcast. My folk horror novel, Lost in the Garden, is now out and available in all good bookshops, including Blackwells and Waterstones. Don't talk to strangers, don't play on the farm, and don't go to Almondby. Heather's on-off boyfriend Stephen has gone to the mysterious village of Almondby. He went for two weeks, and no one has seen him in six months. The only trace of him which remains is his voice, distantly calling for help, drifting across the fizz of shortwave radio. With a couple of friends in tow, Heather sets off through a warped, distended version of the English countryside, baking in perpetual summer, to track Stephen down, and to find out for herself why everyone says, don't go to Almondby. Author Eric LaRocca called Lost in the Garden eerily enchanting and profoundly inventive, a dreamy and unsettling masterwork. This is one of the freshest and most spiritually rewarding novels I've read in quite some time. And author Matt Wazilowski described it as like trying to recall a troubling and beautiful dream. It's like peering through a wound in the world, sorrowful and uncanny and utterly stunning. This book is magnificent, like nothing I've ever read before. Thank you, Matt and Eric. Lost in the Garden by Adam S. Leslie, published by Dead Ink Books, priced at 10 99 Look for the pink and white cover.